0: we are here with former Southern Miss basketball player Neil Watson what's going on Neil
1: not much how are you doing good
0: thanks for joining us
1: uh, thank you for having me
0: how did you get involved in the game of basketball
1: um, ever since I was a little kid probably about three years old I automatically kind of fell in love with the game uh, my earliest my earliest memories as a kid, playing in the backyard, playing in the front yard with the Fisher-Price goals when they were really popular. I mean, I put the goal up to the – I had my dad put the goal up to the highest he can go and really just started shooting from as far as I could. And as soon as my dad saw that it was something I was really passionate about at such a young age, he put me right into organized clubs and organized youth groups to play the game. And he saw that my passion was had such fire behind it. Um, I started playing AAU at an early age. I started playing up as well, and that's really where my love for the game came
0: from. What was what was AAU like for you? Growing up
1: AAU was good. I mean, it was a bit tough as well because I wasn't one of those kids that was extremely big or extremely talented. Everything I got really came from myself. Um, I worked I worked at it, you know, night in and night out, day in and day out. It was just a lot of hard work and um, it was a lot of effort as well, along with dedication. Um, like I said, my passion for the game really had a lot of fire behind it. And being that I was so young with it, it just stayed with me, and I've never looked back.
0: You, you obviously were a basketball fan growing up. Did you have a, a fav- any favorite teams or any players that you tried to model your game after?
1: Growing up, I never really had a favorite team. I would say the one team I always absolutely loved was the Kansas Jayhawks um, under Roy Williams, and then when it was passed the Bill Self, you know, still to this day, I'm a huge fan. Um, growing up, one of my major, major role models was a guy named Jeff Hawkins who uh, went to, the high school I went to, and ended up ending his uh, collegiate career at Kansas University. And as far as professionally, um, I really tried to model my game after Steve Nash. Steve Nash to this day is by far one of the greatest point guards to me that has ever played the game with his vision and with his quickness and just with how he controlled the game of basketball.
0: He made everybody around him better.
1: Exactly. That's what I really wanted to make my game like. I really wanted to be that guy that no matter what coach, no matter you know who the guys were on the team, is that I could be the guy that make everyone better and bring everyone together as well to get us to play as a team to win basketball games because at the end of the day, at the end of every day, no matter who you're playing or or what sport you're playing, it comes down to winning, and winning keeps everyone happy.
0: You went on to play high school ball. You played at Sumner Academy where you scored over 1,000 points in your career. What was your time like at Sumner?
1: It was good. It was good. Sumner was good because it taught me how to be a student-athlete, um, it was a college preparatory school, so I spent a lot of my days in home, a lot of my nights at home studying and trying to prepare myself, you know, for class the next day, along with preparing myself for practice or the games, you know, late nights practicing, early mornings practicing, and you still got to go to school and get the schoolwork done. it was really helpful because that's exactly what college is. Um, for every student, every student-athlete out there, You have to be prepared for the schoolwork, early mornings and late nights, and you have to be prepared to play your sport as well, whether it's practice, working out, study hall. You have to be prepared to be a student and an athlete, and Sumner Academy of Arts and Sciences definitely prepared me for that that road, um, for that little path on my journey.
0: When did you realize that you might have a shot to play college basketball?
1: I started to realize probably when I was a junior in high school, I uh, linked up with a guy named Rodney Perry and started to play for a team called the Rockets. We were called the Springfield Rockets. And he was really the one who turned my eyes to I could play. And I always used to think that I, I never really used to have it embedded in my mind that I was too small to play the game of basketball. But, it was always kind of there in the back of my mind. This guy, Rodney Perry, really took it to the next level and made me believe that you can be a college basketball player.
0: You started your college career at Toledo. What what happened yeah. at Toledo?
1: At Toledo, I got deemed academic, academically ineligible. Um, coming out of high school, out a Sumner, which was a real struggle at my time as well, academically. I, I, I ended up graduating Sumner, but you know, I was still, as far as NCAA requirements, I still was missing a few classes, and I was short by one point on the academic scale for being eligible to play your, you know, to play any years um, in college. And because I was, Toledo still accepted me, and they redshirted me, academically redshirted me. I was deemed by the NCAA. So I went there, and that was a struggle as well because all players coming out of high school want to play college basketball immediately. And I had so much to learn um, in the classroom and on the court. So that was a pretty tough time just sitting back and watching guys play. And we were, um, that year at Toledo, we were pretty terrible in basketball. I think maybe top five worst teams in the country. So that was a really, really tough year for me.
0: How did you end up leaving Toledo?
1: A guy Um, I can't remember the coach's name. I remember we called him Coach K. He came over from Wisconsin, Green Bay, and basically just sat me down in his office after a few workouts and, you know, just didn't believe that I was good enough. Um, He didn't feel I was big enough. He didn't feel I was quick enough. Uh, He felt that the guys he was going to bring with him were better than me. And at the time, I didn't understand it, and that's what caused me to leave Toledo and transfer to Coffeyville for my one year of junior college. Um, He just didn't feel I was good enough. And at the time, I was pretty upset with him. But as I got older and once I ended up at Southern Mississippi, you know, you learn that basketball is a business as well, Um, especially from a coaching standpoint. When you're moving your family and you're making a big move from Wisconsin to, you know, Toledo, Ohio, you have to be on your P's and Q's and you have to have guys that you trust and you can't really take risks. So, um, you know, today I respect him for his decision. Because in the end, it made me better, and it made me a stronger player and a stronger basketball player.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that was a motivating factor in your future success.
1: Oh yes, definitely it was. Um, for any kid, or, or not even for just kids, for any person, you know, being looked in your eye from someone you look up to and them telling you that they don't believe in you and they don't, you know, they don't think you're good enough is hard. It's very hard. It, it's a hard pill to swallow. Um, but in the end you know it's just something you have to do it's like being knocked down on your butt and as we're all talked to you know you get knocked down seven you get up eight
0: no absolutely that that is the uh that's the southern miss way it so, is it is so you 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 mentioned you end up at Co- coffeeville um how did you end up at southern miss
1: well while I was at my year of coffeeville we went 33 and 5 and finished fifth in the nation um, out of all junior college teams in the, in the, na- in the country. And um, a guy by the name of Greg Heyer, who was the assistant under Larry Eustacey. I mean, he made several trips every single time he could to come see me in Coffeyville, and he always, 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 you know, called me when he could. You know, he did everything by the book. And he really made me feel like I was important. He made me feel like I would be welcome to the club. I would be welcome to the university, you know, as one of their own. Um, He never came there and told me, you know, you're going to come here, you're going to start, you're going to do this, you're going to play this many minutes. He came to me straight and he said, "Uh, Neil, I love your game. You remind me of this guy named Stefan Hanna, who played in Missouri, who I was very familiar with, who was a great guard. And he was like, little guards like you have a place in this game and I believe in you and I believe that you can help our team and take us to the next level. And looking him in the face and him telling me that and I trusted him. And Larry Eustace, he wasn't far behind him and he came, you know, as often as he could as well and made me feel comfortable and, and those two together made me feel like Southern Mississippi was the place for me to go.
0: Well, you grew up in the Midwest. I mean, was it a bit of a culture shock when you got down to South Mississippi?
1: It was. It it was a a major culture shock. Um, I remember getting there and playing an open gym and playing with the team, and all those guys were so offensive-minded that all they wanted to do was shoot, 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 you know, score, score, score. And I was the guy that was trying to get everybody involved, but all these guys could get themselves involved. They knew how to create their own shot or, you know, make a play for themselves. And they were all just as talented as me. majority of them were better than me. And I think that's what really set the tone. So when I got down there, I was so unfamiliar with it, I called my dad right away and was like, Dad, I can't be here. These guys don't want to pass the ball. You know, the coach ain't even around. Being that it was the summertime and coaches couldn't be around during this time because of the NCAA violation. And I was just like, Dad, I can't be there. And the one thing he said to me is, you got to develop alligator tough skin. You got to be able to to shake off the bad and know that um, good times are ahead. Everybody's new. Um, you new, and they got to get familiar with you, just like you got to get familiar with them. So ride it out and call me back in one month and let me know what you feel. And I called him back, and sure enough, by the time I called him back, I was in love with the university. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what was it like playing for Larry Eustacey? Playing for Larry Eustace was
1: the best year of my life. Um, he taught me so much about the game of basketball. He taught me so much about being a point guard. He taught me so much about being a leader. Um, and he, most importantly, he taught me about life. I feel every, every practice was not just a lesson on how to become a better basketball player or how to you know, be a better defender or how to help rebound there was some sort of life lesson in every single practice we had and every single every single encounter I had with Stacy, was a life lesson as well. So to you to Larry Stacy, I'm forever grateful.
0: Well that first year at USM you talk about, I mean that was the first time that we defeated the Memphis Tigers in years. What what did it what did yeah. it mean to the team to get that victory?
1: It meant it meant everything to us. Um it really, you know, it's hard to put it in words because, you know, going up, leading up to that game, you know, all the guys that have been there, you know, were letting me know, you know, we haven't beat Memphis, you know, in you know, 18, 19 games. So, you know, a span of years. And you, Stacy, I mean, he came to me one-on-one and he let me know that I had been playing well lately and that he really wanted that win. You know, he, he based – he didn't base our season off of that win, but he his competitive edge, he wanted that win just as bad as we wanted that win, if not more. And to me, it felt like if I have this much passion, this much fire from a coach um, who I genuinely feel cares about my well-being and me becoming a better basketball player and a better person, it made us all want to work that much harder to win, not only for ourselves, not only for the university, but we wanted to please our coach, and we wanted to make our coach happy, because we knew, um, and as I knew personally, that Larry Eustace would go to the ends of the earth, ends of the earth for us.
0: And, and another huge feat that year, it was—it's the, the third time in school history that Southern Miss gets to play in the uh, NCAA tournament. What was that experience like? That was absolutely amazing. Even
1: though um, we lost that game to K State. Um, being to the NCAA tournament, you know, making it to the NCAA tournament out of Hattiesburg was just one of the accomplishments that I'll never forget. Um, the group of guys I had down there, Maurice Bolden, uh, D'Angelo, or Angela, I'm sorry, uh, Lachey Page, Ayaro Phillips, Jonathan Mills, Rashard McGill, you know, Christian Robbins, all of those guys that participated on that team and helped get us to that tournament. Um, I mean, all of us are still close to this day. It's truly phenomenal, and it's one of those memories that none of us will ever forget.
0: That season, you were named second team all-conference, Conference Conference USA Newcomer of the Year, Conference USA Sixth Man of the Year, and you were a finalist for the Howell Trophy. Did you expect any of that in your first year when you signed with the Golden Eagles?
1: Honestly, no. Um being that year and every other year I play basketball collegiately and professionally, I never really go into the year setting goals for myself because I still, it puts too much pressure on me. So I always just go into the year, you know, going, I'm going to stay working out. I'm going to stay in the gym. I'm going to keep myself motivated and I'm going to go out here and, and do my best. And, you know, hopefully what I'm doing rubs off on the other guys. And that year, the group of guys I had, it did. And, just so happens that because we had a successful year and I was playing well, you know, I got nominated for a lot of things and I made the second team. So when I got those awards, you know, those accolades, I was, you know, extremely happy because not only did we have a successful season, I felt like that was icing on, on the cake for me.
0: After that season, Larry Eustachy left for Colorado State. What was the transition like to playing for Donnie Tindall?
1: It was very different. It was very different. I've done the transition before um, of going from a coach to a new coach, and I knew how it went, and I kind of expected the worst from Tyndall coming in. I expected him to, you know, do what he kind of did, you know, which was bring in a bunch of new guys and maybe not purposely trying to replace me, but trying to, you know, bring in the guys he wanted, the guys he felt like he trusted. So really, you know, my years with Tenor was an uphill battle. Um, both years were an uphill battle because I, I was a, I was a Larry Eustacey guy. I wasn't a Donnie Tenor recruit. And being that, you know, going into my junior year with Rashard McGill and Jonathan Mills, I had them to kind of have my back. And, you know, I had those guys to look at. But going into my senior year, I think the transition was a bit harder because I was the only Ustacy recruit left. And, you know, the other guy with me, Cedric Jenkins, um, his knee just didn't hold up like we wanted it to that year, so he couldn't end up playing with us. So I, it was a pretty it was a pretty tough transition, especially with the different coaching styles as well.
0: Still, you had a you had a great season that junior year, but uh, the Golden Eagles uh, took Memphis to double overtime, but fell short in that conference championship game. How disappointing was that loss to you guys?
1: Very disappointing because um, it, it's just one of those things where you. You give everything you have and you still fall short, Um, which ended up being a life lesson for myself is just because you work hard for it, don't mean you deserve it, and it doesn't mean it's going to be given to you. So it's one of those things where we took a loss and we just had to, you know, you just got to look forward and move on from it. Um, But as far as the team aspect, it was devastating because we did work our butts off and we did feel like we deserved to win that game. Memphis just made the plays at the end of the game, you know, at the end of that double overtime that got them that win.
0: You know, after the season, uh, Southern Miss ends up as a number one seed in the NIT. And I had been following Golden Eagle basketball for a long time. I mean, I was there in, in the greenhouse during the uh, NIT teams of, uh, you know, the late 80s. But how amazing, yeah. how amazing was that environment at Reed Green during the NIT that year?
1: It was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal, and, and I can't really put it into words um, for the love and support that the student body showed us, that the community showed us. Especially being that my first year at Southern Miss, we maybe got a thousand, maybe two thousand people to come to the games at max, and then you get to that the point where we're in the NIT and it's a sold out game, close to sold out game every time you know we play. So. You know, to all those fans and, you know, to the student body that was there when I was there, you know, it's just so much love in my heart goes out to them because I really am truly thankful for, you know, that Golden Eagle Club that we had.
0: You get to your senior year, you know, you got a, a lot of guys coming back, a lot of expectations are high. Um, you had an unfortunate incident that took place. Uh, to start the season, and you end up having to wear a mask when you came back. But you kind of became synonymous with that mask as the season went on.
1: Yeah. Um, I end up, you know, getting a broken jaw uh, due to a practice, and um, I was supposed to be out two months. I was supposed to miss the first game of the season. Um, But just the will within myself, I had to push myself because my junior year, I missed the first game of the season, the season opener, due to a, a thigh tear tore a muscle in my thighs, so it was really just the strength within myself as I had to push myself to get there, to get, to play that first game, and people really end up, you know, taking to the mask. Uh, you know, the whole fear of the mask, um, you know, I can't, thank, I can't thank the fans enough for, you know, for supporting me and really having my back because I genuinely feel that everyone in Hattiesburg who, you know, watched me play or, or you know, watched my time during, southern mississippi genuinely became not just a fan but you know people to actually feel like they connected with me and you know even to this day i still talk to quite a few people from southern miss you know fans whether i personally met them or not you know if you reach out i'm not one to ignore
0: no and it's much appreciated and and, hey i appreciate you coming on the show man it's 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 been a lot of fun yeah um also you know kind of in that in that senior year you kind of developed a reputation as a clutch shooter. I mean, when I was thinking back to my favorite memories of you, you got to talk about that game against Marshall.
1: Yeah, that that Marshall game was, was phenomenal. Being that we never at any point in that game, and you can ask, you know, any of the guys who played, Aaron Brown, Gerald Brooks, Michael Craig, Davion Boardingham, you know, Norville Carey, uh, you know, Chip Armelin, You can ask any of those guys, you know, at any point did you think you would lose that game, including myself. No, we never thought we would lose the game because we knew what type of team we had. But as it started to get closer and closer to the end, you know, within myself, I knew that, you know, some play was going to have to be made, and I wanted to take it upon myself to take that shot. Um, I wanted to be the hero, and I had no problem with being a zero in that situation. Um, if people hated me, you know, for missing, then so be it. And if they love me for making it, so be it as well. Um, I wasn't shy to the big shot. And coming into that final shot, Tendle um, looked me right in my face. And he said, you know, we're going to run a play for you. You're going to take the shot. And I had no problem with it, no problem at all. I loved the big moment. And, you know, I don't mind being the bad guy for missing a shot. Sometimes it's like that because I know I put in the time to make that shot, and the shot I made, i shot it over a thousand times in practice.
0: Well, that season, nobody could be mad at you for missing free throws. I think you had like a 92% free throw percentage in your senior year.
1: Yeah, that was, that was a lot of practice as well. I remember calling um, the uh, coaches and the managers, you know, blowing their phones up to stay in the gym, and, you know, every day that I went to the gym, I made sure I didn't leave without you know, making 100 free throws. And, you know, most days or or nights that I was in the gym, you know, I'd go 90 for 100, uh, 85 for 100, 95 for 100, and I feel that that played a major role. And I feel like, um, you know, practicing free throws is a lost art in the, in the game of basketball. You know, some people are good at it, but you could be great at it, and, I, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be better than I was the year before.
0: Both of your junior – both during your junior and senior seasons – uh southern miss was one of the highest rpi teams to be left out of the ncaa tournament what what do you think happened to that with that and and what are your thoughts on that
1: um to be honest i think what happened was it was politics uh you got you know a few teams that got in over us were in bigger conferences and you know maybe you know the board or you know the committee just felt like those teams deserved to be in it because they played bigger teams or you know, really, whatever the reason was, um, it just goes back to, you know, you don't always get what you deserve. You know, my junior and senior year, finishing the season with 27 wins and 29 wins, you know, those type of teams deserve to be in in the NCAA tournament, regardless of what conference they're in, because it's not their fault they're in that conference. It's not their fault they got the schedule they got, because the players don't choose that. If we could play in the ACC or the Big Ten or the Big East or – you know, any of those conferences, you know, we surely would have, but we couldn't. And I think that's what we felt most disappointed is the teams that were put in front of us, we beat. Of course we lost a few to big teams, but that's how it goes when you're a big team, you handle games like, you know, we got to handle. But we also handled the games that we needed to handle. And to end both regular seasons with over 25 wins, you know, RPI, in the top 30 or top 25, those teams get in the tournament, Southern Miss just got left out. Uh, maybe we weren't as popular with the committee. I really don't know. But, you know, it, it was just one of those things at the end of the day you just say, it is what it is. And we got to try harder next year.
0: And we, we've always had trouble getting teams to put us on the schedule. I mean, I, I mean, and yeah. that's something they really don't look at in the committee.
1: They don't. They don't. And I think teams didn't really want to play us because of the style we played. We were an aggressive, hungry team, and we weren't that team that was undisciplined. We had a lot of discipline, and we had a lot of talent on our team as well. So, you know, if you if you underestimated us or even if you knew what we had, we were coming in to win. You know, we didn't care about you paying us, how much money for us to come there. We weren't coming to lose by any means, and we always wanted to win. And I think that's what, you know, shook a lot of teams off from playing us. I remember being in Southern Miss my sophomore year. We played Ole Miss, and we won at home. And you would think that being, you know, us or being in Mississippi with an old Miss and a Mississippi State, we would at least play both teams one time just as some sort of in-state rivalry. Um, I don't know if they didn't want to play us or if they just didn't feel, you know, they respected us enough to play us. But after we beat Ole Miss that one year, you know, we never saw them again. So uh, maybe teams were scared of us. Maybe they just didn't respect us enough. Either way, that was one of the things we struggled with is playing you know, playing the better teams. that just didn't want to play
0: us. Well, during that, during your last season at USM, uh, the Golden Eagles advanced in that NIT to the second round, and that second round game was kind of in your neck of the woods. What was it like getting the win at Missouri?
1: That was one of the greatest feelings ever. Um, being that, you know, I'm a Kansas, I'm a Kansas boy, uh, you know, born and raised, and, you know, my first year after school, I go, you know, 11 hours up to Ohio. And then my second year, I'm three hours away in Coffeyville. And then my, you know, my third, fourth, and fifth year, I'm 12 hours away in Mississippi. My family didn't really get to see me play much basketball. Um, And I know they really love doing that. So for them to, you know, make the three-and-a-half-hour drive to Missouri, to Columbia, Missouri, to watch me play against Missouri, the university, you know, put a whole another fire, you know, under my behind to play that much better. And which I did. I played very well that game we ended up beating, you know, a Big 12 team school. So, which was another, you know, big landmark for us because that wasn't the only, you know, big team we beat, you know, in my 3-year tenure at Southern Mississippi.
0: What did it mean to you to wear the black and gold?
1: It meant everything. Um I'm one of those guys who was really big on loyalty. So, You know, from the day that I stepped on campus, um, from the day I fell in love with the university and and with the program, it was all about, you know, black and gold. It was all all about bleeding black and gold. You know, it wasn't just about the basketball team. You know, I made the efforts to, you know, go see the fraternities, go see the sororities, go see the tennis team, go see the women's soccer team, go see baseball, go see football. You know, I made it a priority to go see everybody because I felt, you know, the sports, Organizations. We were all, you know, we were all student-athletes. We all knew what it was like to struggle. We all knew what it was like to stay up late and have to cram, and we all knew what it was like to, you know, people look at us crazy like, oh, you, you know, you're lucky to be on scholarship and this and that. So I made it, I made it a priority that, you know, bleeding black and gold wasn't just going to mean bleeding black and gold for the basketball team. It meant bleeding black and gold and representing the university um, to the highest honor.
0: When you left Southern Miss, you went to play professional basketball in Europe. So tell us a little bit about your time so far with the Leicester Riders.
1: Um, My time with the Leicester Riders has been really good. Uh, Right now I'm in a contract negotiation, so I might go back. I might not. um, Due to the fact that my first year there, we won 30 games but didn't win any championships, Um, I made it my mission that I wanted them to re-sign me because I wanted to go back and get – I wanted to go back and win the league title for my head coach, for my GM, for my owner, and for my teammates. And my second year, we win uh, a tournament competition called the Trophy Final for the first time in club history. And then we also won the league, which was – that was my goal for us to win the league. We lost to a team last year, and this year, this past season, we accomplished that, so I feel like the goal I had set was accomplished. And playing in Europe, playing for the Leicester Riders, was phenomenal because I met, you know, some extremely nice, generous, and caring people that I always have good relationships with. And also being, a, you know, a huge soccer fan, I got to I got to witness one of the greatest sports, uh, one of the greatest sports things to ever go down in history. The uh, Leicester City Football Club, soccer club, won the Premier League, which is probably the best soccer league in the world. You know, at five hundred to one underdogs or five thousand to one underdogs. So, being in Leicester, not only us winning the league, um, I got to witness history in another sport, which was you know great.
0: Do you, do you sing along at the games? Do you sing along with the? I do. <laughs> <laughs> do they, do, they... I do? I
1: am. I am the guy. Yeah, they chant. They chant the entire game. Now, a lot of times when I go to the game. Because of the connections I made out there, I uh, get to sit VIP, so I'm always up in the box majority of the time. But there are the there are the many times that I just tell you know my sponsors that Nah, you know I'm sitting in the crowd today. I'm sitting in the cold and, and I'm chanting the whole night.
0: <laughs> now I was a big I was a big Ricky Hatton fan. Did they sing along at the basketball games too, or is it just boxing and soccer?
1: Now mostly it's. Football in the UK, but if you go to other places such as Spain or Germany, you know, Greece, those places, they are chanting, you know, and, and chanting the basketball games and shooting flares. Now, you'll get maybe one or two chants in the UK in Leicester or in Newcastle, which are the two bigger clubs um, in that league, but you won't get too much, you won't get as much chanting as you would at a football match or a soccer match.
0: Well, since you've been gone from Southern Miss, a lot has happened, as you already know, with Donnie Tindall and Southern Miss basketball. What are your thoughts on the NCAA investigation and punishment?
1: Um, For what they say he did, uh, you can't really be mad at him for – you can't really be mad at the NCAA for punishing him the way they have. Um, In any case, you know, whether he did it or not, that makes the university look bad. And for those of us that really care, and, I mean, even, you know, Tindall made us feel like he really cared about the program, actions speak louder than words. And, you know, from what the NCAA is telling us or proving to us and showing us, his actions didn't match his words. So it's more of I feel sorry for the university that they entrusted someone so much and it backfired on them. And it's having a negative outlook on, you know, the young men that are now attending that university because, you know, they don't get postseason play. And, you know, for Doc Sadler, who's there coaching now, I think it will be extremely hard for him to recruit kids on the basis that, you know, they can't go to the NCAA tournament, or I'm not even sure if they can go to the Conference USA tournament and advance. So, you know, going to a young man's home and telling him, I want you to come play for me, but we you have no chance of going to postseason play for, you know, a year or two or, or three years. That'll veer a kid away from wanting to come or just having that, you know, negativity over your university cannot make it cannot make a young man wanna come and attend attend that university. And I think, you know, his actions end up having more consequences than he thought and they end up hurting a lot more people than he thought it would.
0: And actually the team now, because we, we self imposed the postseason ban, we're actually eligible for postseason play this year. Uh the handicap that's is awesome. we, we still have a scholarship reduction for a few years. But um they're okay. there. They're ready they, if they can qualify, if they can make it, they're they're ready to go. So uh that that's good news that we, we can now move forward. Were
1: were any of the allegations
0: Versions. were the any of the allegations a surprise to you?
1: Honestly they were. Um Pretty much every allegation against him was a surprise because that's not what he taught in practice. Everything in practice was about being upfront and honest and um, being genuine and this and that. And then when this comes out about a man who's teaching the complete opposite, it makes you kind of turn your head sideways and look at it. You know, it makes you question the things he said. It makes you question the things he tried to teach us. It makes us question the things he tried to teach us even though, you know, I wouldn't doubt it for a second that Tyndall was a, a genuine person and that he genuinely cared for us, it does make you question it when you see the actions, though, because like I said, actions speak loud in the word. You can't preach, you know, being genuine and caring. you got to be an upfront guy. and You know, you can't shortcut. And then all these allegations come out and you get the 10-year ban for coaching because you were doing the complete opposite. You were lying, being sneaky. You weren't being up front. Um, you weren't being genuine, and you were taking shortcuts. So when things like that happen, people look at you negative, and it's something that you can't change. If I see Tyndall out around, I wouldn't turn my head away from him, and I wouldn't walk away from him. I would still shake his hand and treat him like he was my head coach because I went to war with Coach Tyndall. Um, and we've been through, you know, a lot in my two years with him. But either way, those two years made me a stronger person and made me a better man. So if I seen him and you know I wouldn't even I wouldn't even, you know, reject the call. I would still talk to him as if I was at the university to play for him. I, I think it's bad what happened to him and it kinda sucks because his method of basketball, his style was very successful. So I think it kinda sucks that, you know, he'll miss the D one game for a while. Because I think, had he been able to, you know, coach out his six or seven years at Tennessee, I think they would be, you know, either number one or a number two team in the SEC, and I think they would give Kentucky a run for their money. I think they would have given Kentucky a run for their money every year that he was there.
0: No, oh, and I think you're right about that. Um, you had a very popular tweet a few weeks back where you you mentioned that uh, you you'd like to come back one day and uh, be the head coach at Southern Miss. What was that about?
1: I firmly believe that, and I, that's something I feel strongly about. Um, I've, always been to, I've always been into the game of basketball for the love of it, and the older I get, I'm starting to fall more in love with helping kids develop, development of the game, and helping them get the scholarships and all that, and being that I love Southern Mississippi so much, I would love to come back there and be the head coach and, you know, if they don't make it back to the top of the conference where we left it off, i love to be that guy that comes back to help them get back there as a head coach because I know what it takes to do it. I played it. I've uh, been through it, you know, ups. I've been through downs. I've been through everything a collegiate athlete goes through as far as when they speak on the struggle. So I feel like Um, people, you know, players, I can get players to play with me well, and I feel like I also can get players to play for me as well because I can relate and, I, you know, I can really feel where they're coming from. So I would really love to, you know, six or seven years' time, I would really love to come back and be the head coach of Southern Mississippi.
0: What's next for Neil Watson?
1: Going back to Europe. um, I don't know which club I'll be going to. Um, hopefully by mid-July or end of July I'll know, you know, where I'll, be, where I'll be at. But, you know, for what's next is I plan to go back overseas and in whatever league I go to um, leave my print. Um, I want to be the best, and I train in the summer to be the best, and uh, that's really it is just to, to continue my journey of basketball and to keep, continue to keep moving forward and being able to bounce back from the negatives and the lows.
0: Any final words to the Golden Eagle fans out there?
1: To all the Golden Eagle fans, it will forever and always be SMTTT, and I am truly grateful and appreciative for all the love and support that you guys have shown me and that you guys continue to show me. And I genuinely hope that one day I will get to come back and be the head coach for that university and we'll rise to the top again.